I'm Charlie Taylor. I'm Ben Carter. I run hip hop by the numbers on Twitter. I use hip hop statistics to highlight the bigger picture. And I'm director of the Fifth Element. Well, I highlight Fifth Element hip hop, which is knowledge. We keep on digging, we keep on digging, baby. We keep on digging, we keep on digging, we keep on digging, we keep on digging. I thought you were going to do some Hindu casuals, everything around me. Well, this is this is not the this yeah. is not the group. The but group, uh, it's, it's his, you know. It's kind of his. Like every time I go I through, mean, every time I go through Genius and looking at at meth songs, it's there's all these songs and he's not on them. He's just it's just they've sampled <laughs> casuals, everything around me. I'm like, casuals. oh, I, he's not really featured on this song. Casuals, every. Cash rules everything around me. Cash rules everything around me. Crave get the money. Classic. Hi ben. Happy Valentine's Day. Hey, it is what Valentine's Day. Week? Gosh, it is Valentine's Day, the fourteenth of February. Uh, as we record, anyway. As we record, yeah. Um, yeah, man. This week, Juicy J, Wiz Khalifa, Stoner's Night. Now, Wiz Khalifa released a mixtape. And it was called 28 Grams in 2014. And he was spitting over the top of beats from Metro Boomin, Soundwave, TM88, Sunny Digital, Zaytoven, DJ Mustard. Juicy J was on that tape as a producer as well. I have never heard Wiz Khalifa sound better than he did on that tape. That same laid-back nature which endears him to so many fans can also sometimes be his downfall. I think he's let his career and his music drift into some really dull territory at times, especially recently. He had a 2021 album called Wiz Got Wings. Man, that was a comatose journey through the dullest of Wiz's personas. Kind of like the, the, the guy who gets let in by his producer and just said hey man just put some vocals to this whatever we give you just put some vocals and and Wiz seems like a pretty happy-go-lucky guy he's like yeah cool I'm, I'm down but it's I think it stalled his career drastically uh I think that in the last couple of years no one's been talking about Wiz Khalifa because he just hasn't been making great music he's been making sleepy music Juicy J is in total contrast because he's always laser focused. His production is innovative, but it's rooted firmly in the Memphis sound, which is beginning to ascend to the forefront of mainstream music. He produces every song on this tape. There isn't a solitary beat that sounds muted or sleepy or low or anything below a nine out of 10. He doesn't miss with his vocals either. He's just quality. He's always quality. You always get exactly what you expect to get from Juicy J. All that was needed for this tape to succeed is for Wiz Khalifa to turn up. And he fucking does, man. He really does. I think that Juicy J has shocked Wiz out of his slumber. And we get the, you know, the weed and boys type Wiz. The, you know, KK type Wiz. Like the old school Wiz. The one you want to hear on a track because you know his flow is going to slip in flawlessly. Because his lyrical content is going to pique your curiosity. And I think it's true that Juicy J does carry this project. But he's so adept and still so consistent that that's the occupational hazard of hopping on a tape with him. I, I think you're just going to get, you know, washed by Juicy J. But I could not recommend this one higher if you need bangers. Um, great, great project. Really, really like it. I was so excited when I saw that and it did not disappoint. Snoop Dogg back on death row. 
One of my favorite stories this year has been Snoop circling back and snapping up Death Row Records, the label who oversaw his breakout and helped springboard him to one of the greatest careers in hip-hop history. Absolutely. And it's not surprising at all that this album goes as hard as it does. I saw a few people saying, oh, I was really surprised by that Snoop Dogg album. It went so much harder than I expected. Like, have you not been listening to Snoop Dogg for the last decade? Like, he just... When he goes outside of his lane, he misses a little bit. But when he gets back to these, these like, G-Funk, man, he doesn't fucking miss. And, like, I think he is arguably the most versatile rapper in history. I think you could easily make that case. But he does have a clear sonic ethos. And it's that sound. It's that sound that propelled Death Row to a level where it was making $100 million a year in the mid-90s. Fucking G-Funk, man. And Snoop doesn't have the most diverse lyrical palette, you know. Um, When you pair him with... But, but, like, this is the thing. Even when he's on kind of mid-tier West Coast bangers, he just fucking... He delivers. He turns up. And the only misstep on here is the truly horrendous Crip Your Enthusiasm. If you thought East by Earl was unlistenable... You are in for a fucking treat with this man. No, 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 no. Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg, single, Snoop Dogg, single-handedly. That's your hill. No, this is not a hill. So East is your hill. Wait, 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 wait. You've heard this song. I fucking love it, bro. (laughs) You like Crippier enthusiasm? It's banter, bro. Is a banter track. It's so bad. No, I'm a bit of a rotation, but it's a banter track, bro. Bro, you fucking this is... hopped on a crip on a curvy enthusiasm. It's so oh, bro. it's that's hilarious. No, it's, it's unlistable, man. This is no, like they don't even need to waterboard people anymore. They're just gonna play him this fucking song, man. He single-handedly ended waterboarding oh. as a torture technique. Oh Ooh. my days, awful song, awful, Ooh. awful, awful song. Yeah, no, I'm boring. I'm I'm lame, man. But like, look, apart from that, apart from that, great, great fucking, great fucking album. Back on death row, just I mean, I expected this from Snoop. I really did expect it. I he I think his last two albums. I want to thank me, and there was one after that. If you are surprised by this album, just go listen to those, man. It's same quality. Um, Zillan Arda, Zillan Arda. Now, this has been one of the most anticipated releases of 2022, mostly because Zill and Arda released an insane six singles prior to this record dropping, dating all the way back to May 2021, and there's only 14 tracks on here. So we'd already heard 43% of the album before it dropped, and the singles were so staggered that I legit thought that the most recent one, Church Burns, was the lead track because it's been such an elongated process. But you know what I really love? I love watching someone's power. Like I really love watching a, a true blue chip performer, someone at the pinnacle of their field, flex their muscle and deliver something truly remarkable. And Manuel Gagno did exactly that. The The title track is, is menacing and foreboding. It's such an obtrusive way to begin. It's like direct contrast to the glitz of church burns you know this track is is dingy it's inaccessible then run which is violent and insistent it forced itself upon me and 
just grabbed my entire body and started fucking body slamming me into my living room tiles. He just grabbed me and, and yeah, violated me. Then he takes a step back with Death to the Holy and Immersion. And the whole midsection of the album is much more thoughtful and a more ambient experience. It's the actual manifestation of the catharsis of those first two tracks. Uh, like the release of that pressure and aggression. And then the, his agility is pushed to the extreme on Feed the Machine. He croons over this post-rock breakdown before launching into just straight-up guttural screams. And he employed the same technique on Hold Your Head Low. Then we get the indie rock of JMB, then the post-industrial electronica of AHIL. Fucking journey, man. Absolute journey. Not a set-and-forget album. Like, you're going to get drawn into this barren, destroyed landscape and... And watch Manuel just color it in in front of your eyes, sometimes with really light, delicate strokes, sometimes with violence. And man, it's a great album. Finally, Mary J. Blige, Good Morning Gorgeous. Now, the first song I heard from this was Rent Money with Dave East. Also saw DJ mm. Khaled, Five Year Foreign, Anderson Pack pop up on the track list. And, <sighs> you know, I thought the assumption was that Mary was going to dip straight back into her late 90s bag. Um, man, there are oh, few, no. no, no, no. But there, are, but there are a few people I want to win in this world more than Mary J. Blige. I just want her to win Thanks. all the time. Her experiences yep. and setbacks have been immense, and she's given us her entire life and livelihood through her music. She lays herself bare on songs. She turns up to interviews when her world was in total tumult. Her just the, the grace and maturity with which she speaks, even when she's been treated with the exact opposite. I I adore her and. You know, watching her on power, seeing her inhabit that role and, and boss it so expertly. I jumped into this album with enthusiasm and hunger and she did not disappoint. We get that same mix of maturity, introspection, accountability and assertiveness that she portrays in everything she does. And the topic of love is treated with nuance. You know, self-love is just as important and underpins almost everything she says on this album. I get the impression that Mary is reaffirming her own sense of self, which is a process we all go through, you know, all the time. Our lives change, our circumstances our partners, our relationships, and I love listening to her be so analytical and deliver us this knowledge that she's accrued over the course of her life. I think the tracks with Dave East and Five Year Foreign are refreshing. Hearing Mary on top of a drill beat is a real indulgence. It's perfect. Uh, I've heard her spit on songs before, you know, the Touch It remix with Buster, but she doesn't bother here. And I've heard a few artists try and sing on drill beats and it doesn't really work, but man, like Mary's can be able to do anything she can float on top of anything and this album is well worth your time it's a whole meal uh it's best listened to mindfully and giving weight to her her lyrical content and the motions she's dissecting because mary's a deeply thoughtful person and i think her music really reflects that and i love this project so that was me charlie what about yourself yeah so i got in a few um start off with uh, lady ray piece of me uh shout to a shot of sheriff once again um just randomly just tripped up on this uh her guessing her up i think she had her on a radio show and i was just like oh god them <clears throat> oh my gosh this album oh my gosh so this is like just the just that really uh throwback kind of r&b um you know Ari lennox type thing going on and lady ray just comes in man and it's just so so silky smooth from start to finish i i adore this album is absolutely top tier is so close it's it's so close to being perfect honestly it's so it's just right there man it's so freaking great i honestly if i 
yeah, this is definitely on like the album long list right now. Um, this is really up there right now uh, from anything I've listened to this year so far. Um, it's just really just if you if you even think you're into R and B in any fashion, you need to listen to this. If you haven't listened to this yet, um, I'm just gonna look at you different. Uh, I'm just gonna look at you sus, honestly, because you can't be claiming that you like R&B and not spin this album and not enjoy it so that's that, that's just how that's just how it is man it's just how it how it is uh, i don't make the rules uh ivy soul uh candid i forgot where i found this but um it might have been to just suggest to me um but yeah this is um this is really fascinating so it comes in with this first track and as as first tracks go is absolutely banging oh my gosh this filthy beat drop just comes in is absolutely heat um and you know it, it kind of mellows out the most throughout the most of the album uh it turns into kind of just like a modern r&b uh slash half rapping half singing kind of thing going on from her uh specifically as performance wise a couple of features here and there sprinkled in uh but yeah it's just some really decent um some really decent work here actually some really decent just modern r&b going on um, a little bit, you know, just straddling the hip hop R and B kind of like a, a a fence, so to speak, kind of a mixture. Um, but yeah, she's just all over it, and uh, she just really does some great stuff overall in terms of the album. It's a solid album uh, overall, guaranteed. Uh, Mary J, uh, good morning, gorgeous. Um, I really like that affirmation, by the way. Just like looking in the mirror every morning, just go good morning, gorgeous. Um, just maybe switch it up like different words. You know what I mean? I, I feel I feel like if you did that. In, different ones but anyway everyone has a different thing um but yeah this is yeah it's a solid album i can't complain um you know i like here with me with the uh, anderson pack um amazing with dj Khaled is an immediate skip i'm sorry mary it's just not gonna happen for me um but if Khaled's first, if not first... really even on it like i know he it's... isn't but it's just the the like, bro he just comes in first thing just as soon as as soon as as soon as that rent money track finishes the first thing you hear is da 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 just can't do it i just can't do it it's not gonna happen for me i love the sample the no 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 i like that i love that song specifically um as a sample but yeah i just can't happen mm. i'm sorry and also on top of video foreign like i'd get what you mean on turn in terms of like you know just knocking out in terms of the drill beat but i do feel like listening to the album as a whole kind of just disjointed the whole thing like if that track's not there the rest of the album just from just from that point onwards just is so much smoother I feel like this should be on like a, a power uh, a original soundtrack if they do that. Um, it, it's not. It's a good track, but I feel like in yeah. t- in context of the album, it kind of just it, it really just yeah. It's a power it intro. It's a power intro song. It's not. It's a power know. intro. Yeah, like you can't you can't give me that. You can't give me "Come See About Me," "Good Morning Gorgeous" before that, and then just have that, and then you know, "Love Without the Heartbreak," "Falling in Love," "Need Love" with Usher, like. It's just it just sticks out like a sore thumb. Um, but apart from that, apart from those two tracks, I think uh, very very solid uh, Mary intro uh, uh, entry um, into her whole discography, which we obviously have already gone through. Mm. And that was a fun, Great that was a very fun week. Great up, great up. Um, so, and you'll see obviously Snoop Dogg uh, BODR back on death row. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> I do. I I think particularly tracks like uh, coming back. Uh, conflicted with Nas was interesting. I like that, um, and yeah, I think more more to the end as well. Actually, I think it gets better as it goes. I feel um, pop pop with the baby. I, I could have done without. Oh, I felt there were there were need, there were a couple of baby. tracks. 
yeah, there were there were a couple of tracks I could have done without. But then you, but then you have like Catch a Vibe that was really good. I like that one. Um, Get this dick is another one that probably shouldn't have been there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what do you expect, from Daddy? Album, mate. Yeah, we didn't need that. Daddy, one. Daddy, that hook is just not it for me. Um, so yeah, um, with a bit of tri- I feel, and honestly, you say that about um, you, you said uh, you made that point about uh, Snoop albums in the past ten years. And while I agree with you, you know, overall, I feel like there are some good, there are some great stuff that, uh, that Snoop has done in the past decade. Um, and once again, uh, <laughs> once again, a Nate Dog feature. I'm just wondering when these people are going to run out of having a Nate Dog feature that just sounds so fucking crisp and is literally like he's there. Like, if there's a conspiracy that Nate Dog's alive, I'm, I'm, I'm nearing to it because they just keep coming, they just keep coming in with these with these OP Nate Dog uh, features and it just it always works every single time I just don't know how they do it like it's, it, he must have been a workhorse man honestly like it's been years bro how long has it mm. been it's been a few years anyway um, but yeah mate, going back to your original point um, you know I feel like even with I Want to Thank Me and stuff like that like even uh, there was a song right there Summertime in June or Wintertime in June uh, with Nate Dog, funny enough, that, that went on my freaking songs list that year. That was an OP track. I love that track, the Dev. Um, and even on like Never Left, um, the intro track to that is just absolutely well. Literally has the same uh, sample as Cream, um, and that just hits. Um, but the rest of the album kind of just is kind of a yeah. So I feel like this is kind of the same thing where like you know there's there's a few gems in here. I feel like all Snoop all Snoop albums have just a couple of gems in there that you should really you know take out. Um, but there are just a lot of just there's a lot of fat that just needs to be trimmed every single time. Um, and this album is no different. But in conjunction with obviously the Super Bowl coming uh, Super Halftime and also uh, him copying Death Row Records, which the news of it came out I think the day before this album dropped. OP marking, just just great marking, absolutely perfect timing. Um, so shout out to Snoop on that front. And when I said we should hop into our topic of this episode, which is also always all about Johnny Blaze, Method Man, Clint Smith, <laughs> Method Man. Um, so yeah, uh, we have done a continuing our Book of Woo series. Clifford, sorry, Clint, not Clint, Clifford. I know I got it wrong. I just need to check. And to cow. Um, so yeah, we're doing a respectful method. To cow. Method man. I I don't find that I don't find that appealing at all. It's just like I love it. To cow. As a as a to cow. What do you call it? What would you call it? Is that like a moniker? I guess I don't know. Well, it's um, it's an anagram. So to cow. Stands is it? For... I've always I've always seen it spelt like in um, not as an anagram, so I didn't really see it as that. Yeah, taking into consideration all lives is what it actually means. So him okay. and he and you God used to come up with these acronyms. We'll get into it, but yeah, that's one of them. Okay. To cow. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Um. Yeah. So yeah, just jump right in to. Might as well jump right in. What have you got? <laughs> Method Man. Method Man is a heartbeat of Wu Tang. Okay, he's the passion. He's the drive. He was the drive at their very genesis, that's for sure. And throughout their history, he's remained front and center 
Uh, he provided you got a place to stay when he was kicked out of his home as a teenager. And then you got in turn hustled to help Method Man progressive career. He supported ODB in prison and others had abandoned ODB. Remember that from that episode and, and Meth called him in prison and you and ODB got so excited because no one else was coming to visit him. Uh, he supported you, God, when the rest of the members were mocking him. Uh, if you remember that from the You Got episode, go back and listen to that story. That was intense. He's one of the only rappers to work with Tupac and Biggie before they passed. He and Raekwon actually had competitive beef over who was the best on the microphone, despite sharing a homeroom together in middle school. Uh, his sister, Method Man's sister, said he used to finish his homework quickly so he could spend all his time in his room drawing comics, and he estimates that he spent millions of dollars on comic books. Uh, he was the first one to sign on to the Wu-Tang exclusively. He was the very first solo album released after the group's debut album, uh, which obviously reflects his label ties to Def Jam and the recognition that he was the star of the group at the start. And he, above all else in Wu-Tang, has separated himself from the group the most effectively. He's carved out an identity that was driven by the success of the group, but now exists entirely separate of it. And he's a fascinating artist in person. He was born in Long Island into a broken home with his mum living in Park Hill and his father lived in Long Island. Uh, Meth told Talib Kweli that he wasn't really part of Park Hill until he was 11 or 12. His sporting, sporting prowess was immense. He said that once people in his area discovered sports, they just did not stop playing. And Meth played football, lacrosse. He was on the wrestling team at one point. Deadspin even tracked down Method Man's lacrosse coach at one point. And Meth began playing at age 11, and his old coach, Mr. Hoddish, said this. He said he was a physical player and a good part of our program. What I really love about this episode was that because Method Man has blown the fuck up in the last decade, there's a million interviews out there of just like Deadspin tracking down his lacrosse coach. What the fuck is that? That's so random. But, you know, there's not a lot of information, though, on Meth's pre-Wu-Tang life, and that's by design. He, in 98, he said to Rolling Stone, reality smacked me in the face early. That's why I don't like to talk about my childhood. So I used a lot of secondhand accounts. Uh, you God said that Method Man was very theatrical and excitable, and that he was breakdancing and dressing incredibly well in his teenage years. Uh, in a press release for Def Jam, uh, Method Man himself said, I've got a flair that a lot of people don't have. You're either born with it or you just don't get it at all. And I feel like I was born with it, so I use it to the best of my advantage. Now in Park Hill, Method Man would meet various members of Wu-Tang in various stages of his development. He claimed he only attended school for a few months in some interviews. In others, he said he actually dropped out in the 11th grade. In an interview with Spin, Rizza said this. He said, Raekwon, Dak, Method Man, You God, and Cappadonna were from Park Hill. They were the DMD crew. Dick em down is what DMD stood for. Now, Cappadonna is going to become so essential. This is what I'm learning from this whole thing, man. Cappadonna actually, and Meth said this. Um, he said this. He said, he told MC Search, people fronting on Cap and shit, but Cap damn near taught all of us to rhyme. He was doing that way back before he was even thinking about rhyming. So Capadonna basically taught most of the Wu-Tang how to rhyme. We already know that he mentored you, God. 
That's wild, man. And um, in the Drink Champs episode, Method Man said this about Capadonna. Him and Ray are the reason why I even rhyme. I was trying to get down with his crew called GBK, the Get Busy crew. Now, Capadonna ended up in prison, and this is often cited as the reason why he wasn't in the group at its origin, but obviously we'll speak on that during the Capadonna episode. And we already spoke about ODB and Jizza running around the battle, uh, sorry, running around the city and getting into battles with people and, and testing themselves and sharpening their lyrical sword. This was true of Meth and Ray as well. This side of the Wu were all as lyrically sharp as the other side, and that's reflected in the lyrical dissections Meth would perfect, and why I think he was kind of seen as as the leader or at least a leader of the group, and why his solo career took precedence at the start of the group. And You God actually plays a huge role in the forming of Meth's artistry and thus the forming of the entire Wu-Tang Clan because You God and Method Man met early and they actually took a job together at the Statue of Liberty. Method Man told Jimmy Kimmel it was the best job he ever had and it's kind of hilarious seeing Method Man on Jimmy Kimmel. So charismatic. He works the crowd so beautifully, so expertly. Meth said that they were just hiring people off the street and they got paid in cash. And he worked there for five years, two of those years alongside you, God. Meth said that he worked in garbage. He actually defends it to the hilt. You, God, worked in the souvenir store. Now, I say that this job was the most influential in the creation of Wu-Tang because when Wu-Tang released their first single, Protect Your Neck, on cassette, the B-side was Method Man. Method Man, the song, was the B-side. Mm-hmm. Now, Wu-Tang was originally meant to be, and stick with me here for a second because I think this is really a central story, Wu-Tang was originally meant to be ODB, Jizza, and RZA, the family members. And Ghostface was mm. going to be a kind of a fourth member, executive producing and popping up with a verse here and there. Now, Method Man called Protect Your Neck a symphony cut, which was an old way to describe a posse cut with the core Wu-Tang group, which is ODB, Jizza, and RZA, and the affiliates, Deck, Meth, Ray, and You God hopping on and kind of lending their own voice. But the song was so brilliant and the chemistry so unique that RZA had the idea of just bringing everyone into the group as well as Master Killer and creating a, a true group. But the B-side to this record set things on fire. This song set the tone for what would become Wu-Tang's most influential angle, which is the Wu-Tang universe. Because Meth was the first successful solo spin-off from the group. And this was the first example of this this skill that he had. And the story goes that um, Method Man wanted to pop up to Riz's house to smoke some weed. This is the house that we've spoken about so many times. This is the lab where early Wu-Tang cuts were cooked up. And the power went out. And Method Man watched RZA steal electricity from another unsuspecting tenant in the building and create the beat right in front of his very eyes. And Method Man had some bars he'd been writing to a looped-up Master Ace instrumental and the beat, that beat, the, uh, the, the RZA beat on the song Method Man, one of the greatest ever produced in hip-hop history in my view. And Method Man fucking levitates on it, spelling out his name, uh, J-U-M-P, Panty Raider, this lyrical technique that would become so crucial to the familiarity of Wu-Tang actually began in the Statue of Liberty with You God. And this is what Method Man said. He said, we used to work at the Statue of Liberty, and when we were coming home, we used to come up with all these made-up words that were acronyms. We had words like bibwam, which meant bitches is busted without a man, and all this other crazy shit. We would call money cream. So he took each letter and made a word out of it and killed it the way he did. So that's you, God. You, God, came up with cream. That's what Meth just said there. 
And Meth and, and Yugo would put their heads to come up together and come up with hooks and treatments for songs. And this set Meth apart. And that song, Method Man, is so vibrantly indicative of the unique selling point he had because he sounds like ODB, Ray, Ghostface, Jizza. He sounds like everybody on here. He interpolates the Beatles. His lyrical references are immense. He said that the idea for M-E-T-H-O-D actually came from a Hall and Oates song entitled Method of Modern Love. Method Man dropped Mescaline with Capadonna. Now, Mescaline is a relatively old school and not too prevalent in Australia, so I haven't come into contact with it myself. I, not that I'm any kind of authority on anything other than psychiatric meds, but Mescaline is a hallucinogen. And Meth said uh, Capadonna had a pink radio, and they took Mescaline and were listening to Hall & Oates when that song came on. And Meth interpolates the chorus in that, in that iconic first song. And, you know, it's just, these are crazy stories. Like, Method Man and New God were running around the street together during the formation of Wu-Tang. Um, RZA actually recalls a story from the very early 90s when RZA probably saved uh, Meth's life from a drive-by. Um, that's, that gets brought up a lot. Uh, you know, stories from Meth around this time are, are totally wild. I think it's a really interesting juxtaposition with ODB. And I don't think we're going to get into it here, but... Method Man's drug use is, is well-known and well-documented. There's an entire episode on Steve-O's podcast dedicated to Steve-O just telling drug stories he's been involved in with Method Man. And in You God's book, this, this is the, one of the most common stories of Method Man and these activities around this time. You uh, God writes, um, This fiend approached me in meth while we were selling. He didn't have any cash, but he wanted two dimes of crack in exchange for a sheet of acid with a picture of a skull and crossbones. Meth figured it was a good trade, so he did it. I said, man, you're fucking crazy. He took a few tabs and offered me one. I declined the offer, saying I ain't trying nothing with a poison sign on it, which seems very rational to me, and continue serving fiends. Pretty soon, Meth starts feeling the acid. He starts tripping and crawls into some bushes. I went over to him and asked, are you all right? He looked up at me and said, nah, I ain't all right. I grabbed him to pull him out of there, but then he took off like a shot down the block. I had to literally chase this motherfucker down, laughing the whole the whole time. We got around the corner, got some water into him, tried to flush that shit out of his system. So the music saved all of them, is what I'm coming from here, except ODB, and I find that deeply depressing. Um, but I guess that's a study in the, the differences in the human condition when, you know, some things... You know, the thing that saved Meth didn't save ODB. It, it took him in the other direction. And Meth is open about his drug taking and experimenting with psychedelics regularly during his early years, but it doesn't seem to have impacted his abilities. Uh, you know, Riz's goal was to kind of get everyone their own individual situations at the formation of Wu. And that would never have happened if not for the way Method Man skated on that B side. Because remember from the ODB episode uh, that Dante Ross of Electra heard Meth and ODB and actually wanted to make them the next run DMC. And mm -hmm. RZA did not want that. RZA said, you know, he said, and I'll, I'll quote RZA, he said, that's an ill thought, but no, I'm going to put Meth over there with Russell Simmons at Def Jam. So yeah, that was that was the thing. Jizza was actually trying to, to shop Meth to Cold Chillin' back in 1991, but they passed on him. We need to do an episode one day on, on some of the times label executives really, really fucked up. Like the, the people that they part. That's a fuck up, yeah, man. Sure, sure, sure there's a few. Yeah. Oh, so many. And Fredro Starr actually tells the story of how it was Meth ended up at Def Jam. He said one night Onyx was listening to Protect Your Neck with an A&R from Def Jam, uh, Tracy Waples. 
and that was revealed in the Wu-Tang American Saga story. And based off the strength of the reaction to that song, Fredro Starr claims that she signed Method Man to the label. He actually said she didn't even like the song at first, but because they were reacting so like positively to Meth's performance on Protect Your Neck, um, they that and and RZA of course tells it a little bit differently. But for what it's worth, Meth actually says that Russell and Tracy Waples sat them down in a restaurant and offered 250k, uh, and they wanted to sign the whole Wu Tang. They wanted to sign everyone, but RZA told them he'd give them one member, and they took it. And this is partly why Takal is the first Wu solo album after their debut group album. And then we get into Takal. All right, that was nice. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing I feel like is is worth taking away from uh, from this series and like and what we've done so far, especially, is how everybody has like a story to tell in that fashion, in terms of how it came about, how they came about, how they got to that particular point, and. It's just, it's just so interesting of how like some of them knew each other just because this reminds me this it fascinates me because it could go wrong so easily and it has in some in in a couple of ways that we've already talked about before but like it's just the uh it's just the interesting oh we got that from decent Miro you know what I knew that what's that I knew the acronym for Tacal but I didn't I don't mm. I forgot mm. about that. Yeah, decent mirror interview. Okay, yeah, I forgot. I t- that 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 went straight out of my head. That was a good shout to decent mirror. Um, yeah, I I I just find the 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 loose nature of of the whole thing just so fascinating. I've probably said this before already in some way, but like just knowing that you got in meth were tight, and then it went just different ways for all of them on the precipice of 36 chambers. It's so fascinating. But anyway, Takao. Yeah, so, you know, the album itself is interesting in a way that uh, I feel personally, uh, like, the more you listen to it, I think the smoother it gets. Um, I remember the first, even, even this week when I was listening back to it, I haven't listened to it in a while, and I was listening to it, and I was just like, mm. Mm. "Is this is this as good as people say?" <laughs> like the 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 more you listen to it, I feel this is just me. But I've listened to it a couple times over the past week, and I was just like, "You know what? I can see it now. I can see it." Um, but it's it, it's 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 just a, I think the the overall like the first reason I think the first time I listened to it again, I think that kind of hesitancy I had was more about how I felt uh I felt like the album was a bit like top heavy where like all the good stuff was at the top and then once you got like past release re- release your delf I kind of just went uh, okay when's it over <laughs> but even even with that said there's like you know there's like five more tracks if you add the Man remix as well um so you know that's not too bad right it's, it's not too bad um, and considering all the tracks were produced by Reza, um, is interesting and it makes sense considering of what the beats are, um, which is obviously that, you know, dusty, dingy kind of, um, kind of beat going on that is very synonymous with, uh, Wu-Tang and 
um, all their disciples. Um, I can I can I can imagine that being um, sometimes jarring to some people, um, but I don't really mind it. Consider, and I'm I'm gonna talk about production a lot <laughs> this part, this uh this episode um just off the off the back off the back of listening everything and a lot of them for the first time um but yeah even with this it kind of just it, it kind of smooths into the background and then you just have meth right in front of it and I feel like that's a a smart um just production I guess uh, ideal that Rizza does where the beat is you know it can be it can be the coldest beat ever but it's never going to over overstep and it's never going to um it's never going to overshadow um what the what the lyricist on said track is saying um so yeah even with that like you know obviously you have like bring the pain and meth versus chef which is a top tier track um and release your delf which uh which is a personal favorite of mine shout out to jane and jacoby as well um you know it's it's a solid album it's, it's some obviously some gems in there um <clears throat> and yeah i think it's you, you know, he mentioned you mentioned uh off wax that um it could have it could it could have been a couple of other albums uh to be to, for it to serve this purpose of just like um how would you word it like not the first not wu-tang um album solo obviously um and yeah you know i feel like if it was something like um if it was like liquid swords i feel like that would fulfill as well i feel like that would make the because it probably it probably was important right in in hindsight and in retrospect it probably was important that um the first solo album that met that the wu any of the wu-tang people did um, was a banger and you know we've done it a couple of times in this where like you know oh, not, nothing compares to when we did the Jizzer episode oh, there's, there's no debut album there's no de- well not debut album there's no uh, there's no album that um you know Wu-Tang album that like uh you know some some people do say Liquid Sword some people obviously say um you know Cuban Links which we'll get to whenever we do uh Ray but um you know I feel like Takao's just like right there not like I don't think it's the best um album out of the whole group, and I don't want to play that game um <laughs> when we do when we do these kind of things. It's very easy to get into that and just like consistently try and rank shit. Um, I mean Ben asked me for my top three, and I was just like, no, nah, I'm gonna reserve judgment because because uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just gonna reserve judgment because uh we'll we'll we might get to that particular reason, but um. Yeah, overall it's a fine, it's a, it's a nice album. It's it's calm. It's a you know it's very too it's very close to the woot to the thirty six chambers way of doing things is kind of my point where um, Liquid Swords I feel in uh, in a slight comparison maybe could have done the same thing, but I feel like because Rosa um, produced all of this, I feel like that lent to a much more easier. Um, consistency for people that heard maybe heard 36 chambers and was like oh yo you know meth you know method man yeah obviously the song right because cool method man i think that's probably the first the best reason as well because the fact there's a song on the album called method man there's no song called jizzer on there <laughs> like you know what i mean so i feel like that really lent uh, perfectly to it and i feel like you know probably some people uh, dipped, uh, got got more rooted into the Wu Tang saga, I guess. Um, off the ba- off the back of the cow dropping. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's an interesting album. It's an interesting album. Uh, a lot of people cite the floods in Riz's apartment as the reason why, for example, Inspector Deck's career never took off, and we'll definitely speak of that in, in that episode, but it definitely impacted Takal as well. Yeah, I can't wait for that one. It's going to be an epic episode, but it's guessed that they're about, I mean, some people say 15 beats per MC were lost in the floods. Some reports say up to 500 beats were lost. And naturally, since the car was the first album due to be released, it suffers the most in terms of quality control. And I mentioned to Charlie that this record is mixed horribly. I was actually listening to it on the way. I was, I was about to go for a run. And I was like, what the fuck is going Why is this mix so badly? And there's a great reason for that. RZA had to recreate the debut albums or a, a huge portion of the debut albums of Meth, Ray, Jizza, and Ghostface. And it was the time pressure that caused the rush in production and mixing. Meth actually doesn't just cite the floods as a reason for the album not being up to the extent it expected. He said to Complex, while we're on tour, I recorded my album when everybody else was going to their rooms. Me and Rizza was going to the studio. Always felt like my album was really pieced together. I recorded in San Francisco, Texas, LA, everywhere. Now, Takal blew the fuck up, and I haven't seen too many first-hand accounts of what it felt like to be around when it dropped, but certainly in years since, it's been criticized as just not being the same quality as the, the first album's post-formation from you know, Jizza, ODB, Ray, and Ghostface. Those are all classic debut albums. It has a review average of 83, which is muscular. That's amazing. It appears on 11 lists from major outlets, ranging from hip-hop's 25 greatest albums, 1980 to 1998, where it placed number 12. Uh, there's Tom Moon's 1000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die. It charted very, very well. It sprinted to number four on the Billboard 200, the first ever top 10 for any Wu-Tang album. Uh, all but two songs are produced solely by RZA. And that same power and strength of mind Method Man showed in handling his early brushes with addiction and hallucinogenic substances has been on display his entire career. And this is the important part about Takao. It's the perfect example of this for a few reasons. And he told Complex this. He said, Dust is a powerful drug. I was dusted when I did the title track Takao. I could never do it on stage when I first did it because I was dusted when I did that record. I was gone. And... It was also hate, and, and so like th there's the the issue of him being on drugs while he was recording it, and not you know not not Percocet, like actual pretty intense drugs that are really going to impact your creative process and not not help it along. I wouldn't imagine, not that I've ever taken Percocet, but it was also hastily recorded in multiple locations after losing most of the record to the flood and Def Jam was breathing down his neck to drop something great now remember in our Redman episode when and when Red said this he said this is what Redman said there was a time when Def Jam was needing a little bit of savior as far as the artists a little bit of money they were so caught up in what they were hearing on the radio Method Man said uh, the hunger was there because I really wanted to get that shit down now if you would believe this Takao came out before Redman's debut Def Jam album, Dare is a Dark Side, which dropped a week later and did not go number four. It went number 13. Takao went number four. Now, this is what I'm about to say is the legacy of this record is part of Meth's legacy. He paved the way for an entire raft of mid-90s MCs to be marketed just the way they wanted to be marketed. And I don't think he gets the credit for that. If we look at the top 10 albums from 94, you have Murder Was A Case, the soundtrack album. 
Warren G's Regulate, Beastie Boys' Ill Communication, uh, Functified, Debrat went number 11, Bone Thugs went 12, Coolio went number 8, MC8 went top 10, Ready to Die went number 15, but Ulmatic did not crack the top 10. It was West Coast charting. West Coast was charting in the early 90s, not New York. Takao paved the way for everybody. Everybody. Nas, Big, Mob Deep, Jay, Buster, Rakim. Rakim wasn't like when he, he in, when he dropped his 97 album and charted top 10 you know that was 97 that wasn't 92 so this was meth man method man set that tone and even in the realm of what needed to happen for the subsequent woo solo albums this heaped huge pressure on him dj booth wrote in their retrospective of this record without method man's stability and confidence it's hard to say whether the more technically proficient but understated members of wu-tang like jizza or raekwon would have been able to craft their own iconic albums without takao acting as the bridge between wu-tang as a collective and as individual mcs each with their own perspective and style subsequent releases like Old Dirty Bastards returned to 36 Chambers would have felt less accessible. Takao's ultimate impact on the following Wu solo albums remains its most endearing quality. From that big picture standpoint, Takao was a resounding success. It was, man. It really, really was. And, you know, part of that success was obviously All I Need, the Grammy Award-winning collab with Mary J. Blige. But the remix did not come out with the original album. So it went number four on the Billboard 200 without that remix on it. That was a bonus track. That was the European bonus track. Um, Bring the Pain was the first single, which went 45 on the Hot 100, which is really epic. It actually went number one on the Hot Dance chart. That's wild. Then All I Need popped off. Yeah, I know. How the fuck did that happen? Like, you dancing to Bring the Pain? Anyway, um, the Diddy remix version of All I Need went number three on the Hot 100. Uh, it's the only Method Man album with two charting singles on it. Meth wrote All I Need about his wife, Tamika Smith, who is actually You God's sister, who they, they met in middle school, Method Man and, and Tamika Smith. Um, so Method Man is, is You God's brother-in-law. And, you know, Meth talks a lot about feeling that pull to go down the kind of LL Cool J, Big Daddy Kane route, you know, the Ladies Love Cool James route. And... He said this, he said, because uh, uh, he was talking to Fox Soul, and it was actually the idea of Leo Cohen to do the remix with Mary, put Mary on it. And Meth said, I refuse to do it. I saw something happening, and there was a trend in hip-hop, and if you're a ladies' man, it detracted. I didn't want to go there, but I need this record on this album because it's from me. This is me expressing myself. Leo pushed for the single. I refused. He pushed. I said, give me 50K. He gave me 50K, and he did the song, but like... Meth said he doesn't like this album. Uh, in 1998, he called Takao the worst of the Wu-Tang solo albums. So that was 98. That's fair. I mean, there's some pretty fucking great solo albums in there from 1994 to 98. Um, man, I like it. I like it. I think it's a good album. I could listen to Meth rap forever, so whatever. Like, It's natural that I would like this album. But yeah, then we get Takao 2000, Judgment Day. <sighs> Oh, that poor, there's there's a three-second pause there, ladies and gentlemen. I can see it on my audacity. <laughs> the audacity of that pause is... Whew. I... <laughs> I don't have, like... Switch off now, Meth, if you're listening. I don't... I, don't, I, I mean, no, like, bro, I don't have much to say on it because... 
there's just so many skits, bro. Uh, skits too much. It is jarring. This is such a jarring listen. Way too long. 73 minutes. And you got one, two, three, four, five, six, two back to back, seven, eight, eight, eights. <laughs> a 28 track uh, album and eight of them are skits. You got me fucked up. You have me fucked up, and twenty eight tracks overall is just just a big no for me. Like I can't, I, it's it's impossible. And um, you know, I again on the production front, it is interesting considering that we had some, we had the you know the likes of Liquid Source and Cal produced entirely by RZA, and then you have this where we have you know a couple of RZA's here and there, but then you also have uh, well, well, I'm trying to see who produced what, but, but some of these are skits, so you know it's kind of a kind of have to be specific. So you got Inspector Deck on Spazola, that's fine, I guess. You know, um, yeah, oh no, that's another that's another skit. Um, True Master and RZA on Pie Crash Up, eh? Uh, step by step with Eric Sermon. There you go. There's, there's, a, there's a positive right there. Don't mind that. Good track, solid track. Um, but yeah, I just. I just find it so hard. It's so hard to get the good stuff out of this. It's it's so it, the amount of digging it takes, turn digging, um, to to get any kind of gems in this album is the juice isn't worth the squeeze for me. That's basically where I get to. Like the juice is just simply not worth the squeeze. Right? I can I can I can firm it through. I mean, we firmed it through a lot of albums, right? I firmed it through the fucking end, bruv, okay? I f- we firmed some albums. But honestly, bro, like, this is somewhere I'm just like, 28 tracks, eight of them are skits, and honestly, I, I just, I don't know, bro, like, some, most of it, you can't, well, who would I have this conversation with? I had a conversation with someone recently um, about, oh, yeah, so you know that show Euphoria, right? I know, I know you probably haven't seen it, but like you know what it is, right? Um, so I've been I've been communicating with like I've been in you know group chat with uh, people that are watching it, right? And they occasionally come on to the group chat because they know other people are watching it, and they're just like you know you know just shitting on it basically. Most of the time they're shitting on it, right? And <laughs> I asked them how do you guys even like this show, <laughs> right? And they were like the latest episode was really good. And actually, I saw articles from people saying um, give Zendaya give Zendaya the uh, the Emmy, but but you guys were shitting on this for five weeks straight. Why are you giving her an Emmy now? Like it doesn't make sense. So this is kind of the vibe I get from this, right? Where pe- some people watch certain shows just to get through it, right? And if there's great, if there's some, if they see the writing on the wall, they still do it, right? For someone like me who watches something like Succession, for example, right? I don't feel I. I don't know, I'm, I'll get to the. I'll get to the point. It will get there. Just stick with me. So when I watched Succession, there weren't. There wasn't an episode that like really grabbed me, but the overall essence of the of the show was like interesting. It was just like I like that because it reminds me of Billions, right? It's very close to something like Billions, and you know we're Billions fans, me and you, Ben. Um, Billions is lit. Billions is fire. Great, Billions great is just, show. just epic, big dick energy, just constant dick swinging. It's just absurd. It's beautiful, right? It's absurdly beautiful. But then I watch Succession, and I'm just like, I don't know whether this is a comedy or a drama. 
and it really struggles straddling both. It re- and it gives this odd odd vibe when you watch it, right? I watched up to the first season and I stopped because I'm just like, if I need, if I have to try and, you know, overthink to whether I even enjoy the show, there's no point. And it's the same with this album. Like, if I have to try really hard to find a decent song, a decent stretch of songs even, out of 28, I'm sorry, I just can't. I just, just, no, yeah, no, I can't, I can't. Like, it's, it's, no, it's, it's, it's not. I don't, it's not, the juice isn't worth the squeeze. So, put it simply. Hmm. Ah, uh, yeah, man. Like, I understand that. I fully understand. I skip the skits. I ain't got no interest in the skits. I don't. I don't care about the skits. But this is this album is interesting. The the interim method man was was working fucking overtime between these these albums. He popped up on All Eyes on Me on Got My Mind Made Up, and he actually bristles when All people bring up the East Coast West Happy Coast beef. By the way, is it today? Yeah, uh, today and obviously the score. Same day. Oh, yeah. That's the question. Ready or not or Fuji La? <laughs> Tough question. Both. Mm. Booth back. So Meth knew Snoop really well, and he actually tells the story of being at the 95 Source Awards and being embarrassed when they booed Snoop and Outkast. He won a Grammy between these albums. The only Wu-Tang member to win a Grammy. Like, these, this guy just keeps... This is 95, 96, a year after his debut album. He began his acting career. He was in The Great White Hype, Copland, 187, and Belly. And, of course, How High went crazy in 95. The song, that's what I mean, not the album. The debut single from the legendary Meth and, and Red duo went number 13 on the Hot 100. And it must also be remembered that Method Man's extracurricular activities were not endorsed by RZA. But ultimately, they raised the profile of the group so far, they became invaluable in every piece of success Wu-Tang had during the 90s. When he snuck off to do the Biggie feature in 94, Meth said that RZA forbade anything that didn't keep the money within the group. Meth told Talib, RZA at this point in time was like, we're not splitting no money with nobody, don't do no songs with nobody unless they're doing songs with us. That's not the only time I snuck off to do a song. I can't overstate the importance of meth going outside the system even if his solo albums didn't quite hit the way they were expected to or the way the other solo albums were were hitting he ran to his own script and he became the leader of wu-tang that maybe others thought that ray or odb would become the personable deeply talented and adaptable artist who raised the profile of the group in everything he did and to cow 2000 was a commentary on the y2k shit that was floating around a lot of you might be too young to remember but we were fucking terrified we thought the world was going to end as soon as the clock struck midnight on the year 2000. Like, we genuinely fucking thought that, man. And, um, you know, Meth, Meth said this about the album. He said, there's a lot working on this album. It's my second LP, right? That's T2, to Cal, to Cal. It's called T2000. 2000 is two words. Each starts with a T. Method Man is two words that start with M. Year 2000 is the millennium. What does millennium start and end with? M. Two M's. M is also the Roman numeral for a thousand. Two of them is two thousand. My second LP, two thousand. You know, I'm just perfect with this LP right now. Meth broke that shit down. Spin called the album long overdue. If you've heard it, you'll know everyone from Donald Trump to Chris Rock felt the exact same way, apparently. Apparently, they asked him about the Donald Trump thing. He said that Donald Trump did that as a favor to Russell Simmons and that Meth didn't know Donald Trump or anything like that. 
Number two on the Billboard 200, 81 review average. RZA produces four tracks, and we get production from Inspector Deck, uh, Fourth Disciple, True Master, Eric Sermon, Havoc, Mathematics, Track Masters. None of the singles really hit. Um, yeah, this came right after Bobby Digital, which was RZA's uh, solo album, and it was kind of the first time people began to question the impenetrability of the quality control that was coming out of Wu-Tang, and I find that fascinating because in retrospect, this album is, is immense, but I thought, I like it, man. I really like it. As always, like, I'm just going to like all these fucking albums. I fucking love meth. And then we get... Well, when you have everyone, when you have everyone leave, not leave, but you know, when you have everyone have their own solo deals, you can't, you can't quality control everything. So... Eh. Yeah, maybe. I mean, well, it's a case the, in, it's the a problem case is in a lot he, of other places. So, well, that's what you God said. I mean, you God said that they they focused on they picked Rizza picked his kind of starting four and focused on them <laughs> and kind of left everyone out. You know, look, Deck Deck didn't get his oh, debut album redone, did he? He had to wait till what ninety nine to drop that shit. And I don't think I think that album mm. got scrapped entirely. I'm pretty sure, I'm almost certain that the the album that was ready to go when when the floods hit, that album never came out. You know, RZA didn't go back into the lab and go in fucking Texas and record in random studios while they were on tour with Deck. He did that with Meth. So I think they were trying to still practice that quality control. Okay. Well, speaking of quality control, um, to Cal Zero, they're pretty cool. Um, So... I don't know whether I like this album or not. Like, I'm so in the middle with this album because um, uh, all the reviews are not good. Wow. Reviews <laughs> are not good. I mean, I can see why. I can see why. Like, I feel like these, this is this, um, this whole thing is kind of... Uh, uh, so I'm just like looking at the tracks. I'm just like, oh, that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. But yeah, I, th- I feel like it, it... I feel this is probably... I'm trying to figure out the detriment to this album. And I feel like personally that it's more about the I think it's the production and also kind of lives and dies by the by the features as well. Cause I've because I think Method Man overall does fine on the album overall. Um, but just some of the, some of these, uh, some of the, it's either the B or the feature and it's just, it just never, not many of them really, really click. Like, you know, shout out to what's happening, uh, Def Jam, Pfeiffer and Y soundtrack, big ups every time. Um, but then there's like something like Rodeo with Ludacris, which like, they both did like, they did what they could on that track, but the B was ugh, 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 not good to me. Um, but they did what they could. Um, it's and the whole album itself is very two thousands. Uh, shout out uh, to my continuing. Um, I don't even hate the fact this. Uh, just a just a side note. When I say that, it's not a matter of like hating. It's a matter of just like the two thousands, man. Fascinating time. This <laughs> is a really fascinating time for better or worse. Fascinating time. And some of these beats are so two thousands. It just makes me smile. Um, but even like you know, say what with Missy Elliott? That's that that came off as a track that should have exploded, but it just didn't. I know it's not a single, but it just didn't for me. Um, you know, the turn with Raekwon, calm, I guess. Baby, come on, was so weird because I was just like, why is Cardinal official? <laughs> it's 
Like, it's just, it was so, wow, that was just really weird. I was just like, why? Whoa, what? I was, I was like, is this the, I swear he's Canadian. <laughs> I know he's he's best known for his reggae and, uh, you know, dance hall inspired stuff. I know he has roots, but it's just, it was just funny thinking about it. I was just like, okay. Um, but yeah, you know, who you're rolling with is calm, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. It just isn't, uh it's just something always about it. It's, like it's there's always something wrong with it, whether it's the feature or the uh, or the or the beat. Most of the time, it's the beat, um, you know. And I feel like Method Man does what he can, like you know, on on, the, on whatever tracks they are. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't. Yeah, just didn't hit. Well, let's talk about what happened in interim. When people ask Method Man what his favorite feature of all time yeah, it's like is, six years, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it's a long time. These are long times, especially for Meth, because he was doing a lot. Uh, yeah, people ask him what his favorite feature that he ever did was. And he says, I don't know, but the one that made me the most money was that Limp Bizkit one. And in 1999, Meth popped up on uh, End Together, one of the best link-ups of the 90s in my view. And he said he purposely wrote his verse so that he wouldn't wash Fred Durst on his own song. Uh I remember the video being played fucking everywhere, man. It was totally ubiquitous. Meth said that he wanted to work with them because he'd never worked with a rock band before. And this was despite DJ Premier pro- producing the song. Uh, Wes Borland saying that he wanted the song to be straight hip-hop. He wanted the song to be a hip-hop song, and DJ Premier produced it. And Primo's reasoning for doing the song, he said, To me, Fred Durst was dope with what they did, but when it came to the emceeing aspect of what I was used to, I was very, very hesitant to do it. I was like, yo, man, I'm just not feeling the way he raps. And that was reported by PRP. Premiere was sold when he heard Meth was on the song. And it culminated in Meth and Reth going on tour with Limp Bizkit and making fucking money, hand over fist. And the very first Meth and Red album dropped in 99, charted number three. The two of them popped up on the Hard Knock Life tour, opening for Jay-Z, DMX, Ja Rule, and the entire rock crew, alongside Swizzy, Diddy, and a bunch of others. Swizzy. Swizzy. It's kind of wild to think of Meth and Reth opening for anyone at that point in time, but Meth said they did it because the check was massive, firstly, and secondly, because they believed in it. They wanted to be a part of it. Meth said that they'd turn up and sometimes the lights would still be on, and they challenged themselves to tear every stage down, but not to detract from the main acts, but to warm the crowd up and prepare them for for Jay-Z and X. And that's epic, man. I I love that. Meth's career uh, in movies was exploding too, uh, Pigs, Big Daddy, How High in 2001, Classic, Garden State, Soul Plane. He actually had 25 acting credits between uh, this album and Tikal 2000, including Scary Movie 3. Meth and Red even had a fucking sitcom on, fo- sitcom on Fox. Bro, that is crazy. And this was reflected in the commercial success of Tikal Zero, which debuted at number two on the Billboard 200. Certified gold just two months after release. Charter number three in Canada. It got savaged by the critics, savaged. 51 on Metacritic, which is really low. That's low tier. I know 51 is, is you know, 50%, but no, no, no. I had this conversation with someone the other day on Metacritic. I've gone through shitloads of Metacritic scores. 51 is a 2 out of 10, genuinely. You know, anything <laughs> under anything under 60 is low. 60 to 75 is mid. Anything above 75 is decent. Anything above 90 is classic. 51 is very low. Um, the production is total mishmash. Rick Rock, Diddy, Mr. Porter, RZA, No ID, Boogs, Jelly Roll. I mean, <laughs> you, 
you can't have a mid 2000s album without jelly roll like that would just be sacrilegious rock wilder scott storch is on here as well knots is on here meth doesn't speak too much about this record he called the critics of this album pen gangsters which i assume is a precursor to keyboard warriors with who i am in constant battle <laughs> the criticism seemed to center around the glitzy production the, the glittering guest list and meth's ascension to a household name obviously this looks laughable in 2022 It genuinely is laughable when you think that this was a criticism of Method Man. But in 2004, Meth was bridging the gap between the underground and the mainstream. He did a lot for gritty mid-90s rap. Uh, He showed that you could chart without compromising yourself. And now people were like, well, maybe you're starting to compromise yourself. But we know that he wasn't in in retrospect because Meth is very adaptable and agile. But in 04, I guess people got a little bit upset. And then we get 421. Okay, yeah. Um for the sake of time, I really enjoy this album, actually. I actually really like this album. Um, I like the concept of, you know, policy being the day after 420 and having that post-weed clarity, which, um, you know, is not always a good thing because sometimes that clarity is very depressing, but it is what it is. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know. I just really like this album. Yeah, I, 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 I have no idea why I enjoyed it above the other t- the two previous, but um, yeah, I just really like this one. Um, Less Ride with Genuine, Hot Track, uh, Dirty Mel, uh, uh, The Glides, Draft of Less Ride with uh, Raekwon and You God, uh, Heat. I love Say, oh my gosh, Clean Track, uh, obviously Samples, Lauren Hill, uh, uh, Unplugged uh, Performance. Absolutely top tier track. One of probably my one of my favorite meth tracks, actually. If we if we if we're doing that, um, definitely up there for me. Um, yeah, man. Is it me? Problem with uh, that Storch and Sermon uh, production? Production just better overall in my mind. And even though it has some of the same people, um, much more Eric Sermon here, uh, which is also always a benefit. Um, just more consistency there. Uh, Kanichiwa bitches. <laughs> <laughs> that Rizzo production is great. I just love that sample. Of just the uh, Kenichiwa bitches. Uh, love that walk home with Red Man. Uh, even President MC, something like that. Um, you know, Forever at the end is kind of um, could have put I could have gone without that to be honest. But yeah, overall, it's a solid album. I can't complain. It's a really, really, really clean album for me. Yeah, the criticism of his prior album phased Meth a little in interviews. And it's pretty clear to me that he switched it up on here. RZA, Havoc, Eric Sermon, Mathematics providing the bulk of the production. ODB, Ray, You God, Fat Joe, Styles P, Spectre Deck, Street Life, Red Man. That's a different. That's different already. Uh, he said that uh, Jay Z signed off on the budget on this, and he was absolutely stoked. Um, he told Dub CNN, RZA was the first name I said when I spoke to Jay Z when he signed up on the album budget. I'm happy with the outcome, but I feel like RZA could have had a bit more impact, but he was busy at the time. Uh, and yeah, I thought it was, you know, it, it's, a, it's a solid album. I think uh, it's the shortest break ever between Meth solo albums. It went number eight, only had one single. It's Meth's final album on Def Jam and his final album on a major label and his final album for nine years. And he said this on the album, they're comparing me to other clan members and what they don't understand is that this is the beauty of Wu-Tang. We're different, but we're one and the same. So you can't compare me to Ghost. You can't compare me to Ray. You can't compare me to RZA. I'm just Meth. That's where I think it started. It was a huge interview he did with Dub CNN. He addressed everything. Uh, there was a bit of confusion around the lead single, Say. I, I can't even get my head around what, what's going on here. 
Um, I'm not even going to try and explain it. I've got no idea. I wasn't around at the time. So apparently this actually really affected his relationship with Def Jam. He actually told Dub CNN it caused tension because you had the idiot DJs calling the record label saying, are we playing the right single? Apparently, apparently we're not. Method Man said we're not. When that shit never came out of my mouth, so now the label's looking at me like, what's good, Meth? Why are you discrediting the single that we're trying to make work for you? Uh, so he met, he left Def Jam around this album. It was, some people say, 06, the, the same year the album came out. In a 2018 Hip Hop DX piece, he said he burned bridges during his last days at Def Jam, and he regrets that. And he certainly threw them under the bus in 2014. He exposed that R.A. the Rugged Man was blackboard during his time there. And in the same interview, he Method said that um, Def Jam didn't care about Meth's safety because they had him recording in Quad Studios in the 90s where Park was shot. And, you know, that's, that's what it is what it is. It's a good album. It's a really, really good I'm just going to keep saying it, man. I like every fucking Meth album up to this point. The next couple, not really my cup of tea, but like... Yeah, man, it's <laughs> a fucking great album. And then we go wait nine years for the next two. And is there more anticlimactic than the Meth Lab? Like, can it be more anticlimactic? I don't know. Like, oh, so you, you so you don't like them then? No, they're they're it's not they're not solo albums to me. I don't know. Uh, okay, Ooh, tell me more. Well, they're not actually solo albums. Like, literally. Um, Meth had been te- teasing this new album for half a decade before it dropped, and it came out on Tommy Boy, and it's a posse cut album. Mm. And Method Man said this. He said, hands on, oh, put it yeah. together. He says, I didn't yeah. put anything together. I basically spit on joints and stuff like that. And there's another interview where Good. Meth said that, um, and this is the thing, Meth yep. said that, that he was doing favors for and doing verses for people around him that he Keep wanted going. to do, and hands on, just put the album mm-hmm. together. So it's not mm-hmm. Meth's. Why is it a solo mm. album? I don't get that. Keep going. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm glad you said that um, because my thought towards both of them, and we'll clump them both together. Um, while I do enjoy the albums themselves, right? I don't mind listening to them, especially the set of season two with the episodes kind of thing going on. And who knew we'd get a freaking uh, <laughs> Impractical Jokers, Tenderloins coming through. That was a... Why not? Fuck it. Yeah, that's cool. Can't complain. Um, and also the thought you got who read the report. Just the, the, the skits on here, while I was bitching about the skits before, funny. I really enjoyed these skits. Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> I'm really glad you said that because my my one prevailing thought to both of these albums was like, this is as if Method Man died and they just made two albums <laughs> and they didn't have many verses from them, so they had to pad it. Like it's like, pad, it's like a pad it's like a it's a it's the yeah. posthumous pad album. That's what it's, yeah. it sounds like. It's like here's a couple of here's a couple of meth uh, 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 verses that we had in the back and let's just pack it with a ton of hands on and fucking street life uh, other uh, and street life. That's that's all it is to me, especially the first one. It's like uh, hands on street life, hands on street life, hands on street life. Mac Wild street life and Corey Guns. Uh, uh, hands on street life, hands on street life. It's like, bro, can we get some meth? Like, it's, it's, it's so hilarious to me that he said that. Like, that's the issue my familiar for towards both of them. It was just, it was just funny how that came about. It's just um, yeah, I just it just you just listen to it and you're like, it's fine, but like, why is Meth and Man like just 
barely hear. Like even even there was one track, I think it was Lifestyles, where Method Man was nowhere. Like they even had a track where he was nowhere. So uh, I, I don't know. Uh, that that just overall it was just crazy to me thinking about it. And uh, yes, but that <laughs> uh, was great that you said that uh, said it like that because it just it just came off as if it was like one of those posthumous albums where. Um, they just had nothing left, and they just like padding shit together and sticking shit together, and just like ah, get features, get features. That's what it all came about as to me. But overall, I don't know. it's not bad. Listen though, but, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, but like I don't understand why calling it a, a why would you would call it a a solo album? It's, it, it just not these two albums are just not solo albums. I don't really have anything particularly relevant or important to say about them. I just think that they're just kind of anomalies and i feel like his last album it's kind of like um i didn't speak about easy's album last week uh there's a couple of times where i haven't spoken about it or not last week a couple of weeks ago there's a couple of times i haven't really spoken about albums because i just don't i I don't i don't really care that this is class these are classed as meth solo albums because they're just not i don't know how i can include them in his discography because they're just they're just not you know it's almost like um you know dynasty jay-z like that's so close to not to not counting to me at all and it wasn't meant to be it was the label is def jam again who said yeah we should call this a solo album because it'll sell more i don't know how to call these solo albums to be honest fair enough we can strive from the record if you want (laughs) Well, we can't. <laughs> we can't just delete, do that. Let's just, just delete this whole 10 minutes of, uh, of what we just talked about. No, nah, I mean, it's still part of his story, you know. And then, the, like, the 2010s, like, what can I say about meth? You guys already know everything about meth. Like, he's just, he has just ascended to a fucking level, man. His His acting career is... I can't even believe when I watch Power that I'm watching the same person that I listened to in the 2000s and that was, you know, in Wu-Tang and, and was on Cream. And I can't even believe it. It's it's so jarring to me, but it's so great. He just inhabits every acting role he does. And I find it so fascinating. And just the way that, you know, in 2022, obviously, people are going back in time and, and looking at the things that people have done in their past and using that as a way to discredit their present work. Um I don't know what's going to happen with regards to hip-hop in regards to this kind of thing. Uh, I don't know if that's something that's going to affect it or not, if, if some of the bars that Meth has spat in the past are going to pop up because at this point he's ubiquitous. Everyone knows Method Man. He's he's just on fucking massive interview tears and he's even tried to clean his own image up a little bit with regards to taking drugs and you know smoking weed. There's been a couple of interviews where he said that he doesn't do that anymore and I wouldn't even say... Um, that he's trying to clean it up. I think he's just being honest. And I think that's always been Method Man. Every interview I've ever heard from him, he's just been himself. And I really love that. I love that about him. I love that he's worn everything that he's done. He's He'll talk about it. Uh, he'll go on The Breakfast Club in 2020 and talk about, you know, selling crack in the, the late 80s. And, and that's cool. And he'll be on power and he'll be doing this and doing that. And I, I fucking love Method Man. I, uh, I actually texted Charlie. I... I was going to text Charlie. This keeps happening every time I fucking go back into one of these retrospectives when we did Jizza, we did ODB, and I was just like, man, I think I think Method Man's going to be in my in my top 10. Well, I said the same thing with Red Man when we did the Red Man app. I'm like, Red Man has to be in your top 10. 
And I never thought that before we did Red Man Retrospective. And then we did Jizza, and I was like, Jizza has to be in your top 10. And I never thought that before. I did the Jizza Retrospective. Uh-huh. And now we're doing Method Man, and I'm like, Method Man has to be in your top 10. It's the same same thing, man. I yeah. just, um, yeah. it's fascinating to me. Just take from this episode that Method Man, more so than anyone else in Wu Tang, just changed the game, man. He absolutely, he used Wu Tang as a springboard. Don't get me wrong. Wu Tang. It wasn't Method Man dragging Wu Tang along behind him. No way. They there was a collective, and they've all you know shared energy and and helped each other out. But Meth used that to to jump into all these different lanes and just work incredibly hard. Uh, the the People's Party interview with Talib at the start. Talib was like, he basically said, "You've just been working for like three decades decades straight," and Meth was like, "Yeah." And that's just him. He just works fucking hard, really, 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 really hard. And I gotta respect that a thousand percent. Um, yeah, man, one of the most influential MCs of all time. I mean, yeah. Oh, God, I, can't. <laughs> I mean, if you drop that, I can't really say much about that. Can I, so, I mean, you could disagree. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna disagree. Uh, I feel. I think the thing I can't wait from, can't wait from this is that. Uh, it's interesting how you, I mean you mentioned Wu Tang being a, him using it as a springboard, so to speak, and I find that interesting considering of you know where they're all at right now. Some of them you could say begrudgingly uh, begrudge all of it, um, but I don't think any of them any of them can disagree that they uh, would have been where they're at if it wasn't for it. Um, so with that said, it is very interesting that he managed to make it further in terms of just um, branching out and doing different things, even more so than someone like Rizza, who, you know, he's directed, uh, starred in his own films, um, stuff like that. Go see the man with the Iron Fists. I think it's the Iron Fist. Hilarious fucking film. Hilarious, low-key, very hilarious um, in some ways. Um, but yeah, like, you know, it's, even with that, you could say Method Man's just done a lot, uh, done, done a lot that he's wanted to do. And then you have someone like, let's say Raekwon, for example, or Ghostface, where like, you know, they have their own stuff. I think, uh, Ghostface has his own, uh, uh, we, Wugu, I think it's called Wugu. Uh, I don't know if it's, 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 it's hemp-based something. I forget what it was. That sounds um, nasty, yeah, you but know. a Wugu. <laughs> They're just gummies, bruv. They're just gummies. Um, so yeah, CBD oil. So yeah, stuff like that. You know, they they all they've all taken they've all done something else with it, right? Um, well, well, some of them haven't, right? But the fact that you ca- they they could have, right? The fact that they had that opportunity is so fascinating. And uh, you know, I could get in a I could get in a grand scheme of like um, just um, making opportunities for yourself in. Uh, and being black in America and stuff like that, but I won't bother. Um, but yeah, it, it is fascinating how he's just like flipped it. You know, I mean, he's just taken what he's gotten, he's just flipped it into something just so much, so much sustainability and so much lasting and staying in power um, amongst a lot of just um, bullshit that we probably still don't know about. Uh, you know, there's it's, it's, it's plenty of stuff that, um, and like I said near the beginning, like it's fascinating how. Um, everybody has a story in this in this in this group, and they're all just unique in their own way. Even though you listen to them, and even with that, um, 
And that's the last point I want to make. I, I, I just thought about it because I, I, I maybe you saying it, and I just thought about it again. Came into my thought. Um, the fact that he did all that, right, in terms of like the drugs and stuff like that, but he he doesn't like. What's the word? He doesn't. He, he doesn't uh, drill into it that hard. Where like you know someone makes someone like you know Pusha T for example makes a whole career out of coke rap, right? And Method Man could have easily done something of that nature, right? But he didn't. Mm. So I find that, I find it interesting just in general how he managed to freak it like that. Meth actually said in an interview, uh, I forget who it was with. I, I wish I could remember. Um, but he he directly addressed that and said. He, it's a conscious decision. He was just like, you know, that the people who have really done that kind of stuff don't really speak about it very often. And he said that he just has no real need or desire to speak on it because it's not really the the image he wants to portray of himself and, and put out there. And so it's the same as him not wanting to curse from like 2010 onwards, 2011. And I tried, man, because I was like, there's no way meth went without cursing for 12 years there's no fucking way there's a lot of music out on genius and it's you know this is what i do you know i know that but like there's not a lot of utility in me going through every single guest verse mess done in that time but i did go through about half of them the only time he curses are from verses recorded pre-2010 i can't find any examples of him cursing at all so meth puts his mind to do something he, he fucking does it. and that that is an interesting part about his artistry like he his content is it's almost just like he doesn't say anything, but he says everything. He doesn't yeah. drill down, as you say, into like really mm. deep topics and, and pieces of content and, and, you know, socially conscious or existential mm. or, but he, he's kind of just that remnant of the 80s, like of the braggadocio kind of having fun, just playing around with lyrics and words. And, but he says so much. It, I would imagine his unique word percentage is very high, despite the fact that he doesn't really dive deeply into a range of topics he just kind of raps about how great he is at rapping and yeah for fucking it's not easy to do that and keep it fresh but he manages to i find that interesting yeah definitely all right we shall leave it there and uh hobbit to like if you have anything but... uh not really this week do you have anything i've been i've been kind of hogging the lighter notes the last couple of weeks <laughs> um well so during the pandemic, I pay. I gave. I donated uh twenty five quid to my favorite um venue, uh music, uh well, just general venue, uh the Jazz Cafe in Camden. And uh, in exchange for that, um when they got back up and running, I get a free gig. Now I totally forgot about this. <laughs> I I gave it mid twenty twenty. I was just like, yeah, go on then. Um, and I totally forgot about it. Uh. And then I was looking up, um, it was like a, a couple of months ago, and I was just like, oh yeah, I have a jazz cafe show I can go to. Because I think I was bored that day, I don't know, I was just thinking about stuff. Um, so yeah, I was just looking up, and uh, you know, I found there's some great shows going on um, at the jazz cafe this year. You know, they've got Master Race coming back around June, uh, they've got Slum Village, uh who else they got i think smith and wesson's coming through uh i think not not open mike eagle i think he's somewhere else but he is coming to london i know that for sure um so yeah they got plenty of great plenty of great people coming about um but i as my free gig i uh hooked up for 
well, literally Valentine's Day, actually. I didn't even clock until I, until I got it. Um, uh, abstract Orchestra uh, playing Dilla. Um, so it's literally 18-piece orchestra. And uh, I'm going to be there watching them uh, do some Dilla. And I just find that interesting thinking about it because I'm just like, how how do you orchestrate? How do you make an orchestra out of Dilla? But hey, man, I'm going to find I'm go- There's only one way to find out, is there not? Um, so, yeah, I'm spending... Uh, I'm spending Valentine's Day um, going to the jazz cafe to see some live orchestrated dinner. <laughs> That's fucking so, cool. Yeah. That does sound. It sound cool. It sound cool. Actually, I had a list. I had a list of like. I think one of them. I think I sent you that list actually. Yeah. Uh, mm. One of them was Jay Electronica. That was a good shout, but um, that was more than the price they gave me. Um, it was up to twenty five quid. Yeah. So and that was more. That was more than the. The twenty five, so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll let me just go for saying this under twenty five, just you know, because I, for whatever reason, um, and yeah, just wait for that, for that instead. I would have gone for Master Race, but I have seen him, funny enough, in the Jazz Cafe before, so I feel like that would probably be, I don't know, would that be a waste? Probably not, but like, you know, I can, I can, might as well go, might, might as well do something different, and uh, I feel like uh, Dilla. Oh, there was like a they do they did that like a. A 25th anniversary of uh, Erica Badu, uh, not her coming through for it, but like just playing the album, I guess in some ways, um, re replay recreating it, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I just went for a, uh, I think I think uh, Abstract Orchestra doing Dilla. I think that's a good, um, that's a good, good mid middle ground right there. And uh, yeah, so going to see some Dilla. Yeah. That's fire, man. That's uh, that's fire. I'm I'm happy. That is fire. I'm jealous <laughs> as fuck. I um, I don't think I'm gonna. I hey, think I'm gonna... No go. Oh no. Uh, on another note, like uh, me, uh, well potentially uh, me and a couple of the ISOS people are going to see uh Robert Glasper um in April. So there's that too. Hmm. That's so fucking lit. Continue the jealousy. Uh, jealousy, jealousy, jealousy. Well, I was. I hate being in Australia sometimes. We did. We don't get much down here. And I was thinking because I was going to come to England in. August or September 2020 and I was going to come again in 2022 but I'm actually going to get my motorcycle license and buy a motorbike so I don't think I'm coming this year so I'm going to have to I'm going to have to yeah I know and I can't go to gigs if I'm going to save up for a motorbike I can't (laughs) I can't be going and spending all my money on gigs so I'm just going to be have I'm going to have gig envy all 2022 I'm going to try and okay this is this is something I shouldn't really reveal about myself but I've been sneakily trying oh, to gosh, get... Here we go. Scars me to delete this one a bit. I mean, no, no, no. I'm not going to delete. There is something we have to delete from earlier, but, like, we're not going to delete this particular part. Um, I know what it is. Yeah, you know exactly what it is. Um, I... <laughs> and you guys don't because we deleted it. So there's, so heaps of, there's so much shit that we have deleted over the years that you guys have no fucking idea. That better has deleted over the years. <laughs> <laughs> but I have been sneakily trying to get free tickets to gigs in the last couple of months i have been not dming give me free tickets but using hip-hop numbers (laughs) to dm non-hip-hop artists and be like when they they post up their their sydney flyer this looks fire i can't wait to come see you or like oh man i really wish i could come watch this i'll be in sydney around that time it has not succeeded yet it has not succeeded yet i don't know how common free tickets are in this this realm i've never been at this level before when gigs have been going on. So um, it's a little bit nasty. It doesn't, of me. doesn't sound you're at that level yet, Ben. 
I know. Actually, I was kind of at that Don't level. Don't think you got the clout credits for it. <laughs> I was offered a um, I was offered VIP tickets to an entire tour of an American uh, tour from a massive rapper, a massive rapper. But obviously, I'm in fucking Australia, well, fuck and I do then. actually, I do actually get offered tickets. Um, not not often. Uh, this is, I guess, the other side of things. Like people probably don't. I didn't know this before. I had X amount of followers, but you do get offered a fair bit of shit. When you uh, have this, people just give you shit for free. So there's been a few tours I've been offered to go on in America, but obviously I'm in fucking Australia, so I can't go on them. I've only ever been offered one ticket in Australia, and that was in 2020, right when the pandemic hit. But this year, man, stay tuned. I'm going to try and and leverage my social media following into free tickets. And uh, I don't know how it's going to go. I might get zero, and I might be left embarrassed and, and emasculated. But you never know, man. You never know. We'll see what happens. Just, just quickly, what kind of, uh, what kind of motorbike? Uh, I want to get a cruiser. I want to get a cruiser. Don't know what that means. I didn't know what it meant until a few months ago either. But uh, <laughs> and I did not want to ride a motorbike until a few months ago. But my partner rides a motorbike, and I want cruiser to motorcycles. They're oh, fucking, oh, oh, a legit yeah. t- oh, 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 yeah. like a Harley thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously not that 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 intense, but like <laughs> prop. I want it to be, I want to be, if I'm going to ride a motorbike, I'm not going to be riding around on a posty bike. I want to be fucking, <laughs> I want to be, I want people to hear me. Whipping. I want people to hear me coming. Like that's Ben. <laughs> I'm too, I, I'm going to, I've been like eating ridiculous amounts of peanut butter. I've been lifting weights because I am fucking, I've got arms like peanut pipe butter. cleaners. I'm not going to be able to hold that shit up. I need to stack on at least five kilos in the next month before oh, I buy a shit. bike because yeah. I am going to get crushed uh-huh. under that thing. Yeah, and on that image of uh, Ben falling over on his bike as soon as he uh, kicks off the kickstand, ladies and gentlemen, this has been <laughs> Dig Ditch for the Fifth Podcast Network. It's been Dig Ditch. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm trying to say the Fifth of it. I've been Ben Carter of Hip Hop Numbers. Just imagine that you just kick the kickstand off and then you just fall off the other. Just side. think of it. <laughs> think of like a praying mantis getting crushed by a rock because that's exactly yeah. what I'm gonna fucking look like. Glorious. Outstanding imagery. Hope we'll have a good week. We should always try and do the same. Until the next time. Take it easy, ladies and gentlemen. Alright, peace. Digging the Digits is produced by me and Ben Carter. The show is edited by me. Music for the show. This piece of video games by bonus points. Thanks to Chill Breakers for the ability to use. Social source fulfillment, hip hop by numbers, bonus points, and jail records will be in the full show notes for everyone listening. This has been a fifth end podcast network production. Thanks for spending time with us. I shall see you next time on Digging in the Digits. <laughs> <laughs>